expectations of my heart and the words of my mouth be beautiful in your sight. Pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. So my name's Justin, and uh, I'm a pastor here in town, a fellow pastor with Jesse. And the, the church that I'm a pastor at is Heights Cumberland Presbyterian Church, which is probably the church name that has the most syllables out of any church <laughs> in Albuquerque. Um, but I've known Jesse for maybe like 13 years. And so I, I went to UNM. I'm a Lobo alumni. Do we have other Lobos? Yeah, right there. I got a state right there. <laughs> you knew I was coming. And yeah, busting the swag out. That's it. We got two Aggies here. Uh-oh. So, uh, but I've known Jesse and uh, through a mutual friend. And it's just been an amazing thing just to see God work in somebody's life over a long period of time. And that's one of the, uh, and so seeing Jesse, I saw the seeds of new creation even back then. You know, we lived um, in this, the student ghetto over by UNM, and just talking to him then, I was like, man, God is going to do something amazing through him. And what God started in him has continued here to this day in new creation. And it's just, it's just a privilege to be here and to be a part of what God is doing, even if it's just one Sunday afternoon and after work gets back to Jesse, maybe it'll be the only Sunday afternoon I'm invited to be here. But um, I was reading an article uh, recently on church and uh, church actually in North America. And it was this fascinating article. And it was talking about the influence of, of consumerism upon the church. And how um, churches today, often in our culture specifically are known not for what they are, but for who they aren't. And so we have a hundred different churches in Albuquerque. And so when somebody um, is asked to describe their church, often people do it in, in negative terms of, well, we're not like this kind of church. We don't dress like this, or we don't have this kind of music. We're very unique. We're distinct. We're one of a kind. That's why you should be a part of, of what we're doing here. I, I don't know if you ever used words like that of what well, we're not. I know I have personally. You know, um, we're a church. We have coffee, but not just any kind of coffee. <laughs> Single source, free trade. Uh, Somebody asked you what free trade is. I, it's the opposite of not free trade. <laughs> right? The interesting thing is, um, historically, the church has not been known for who they're not or individual churches. They've been known for who they are. If you, um, historically, if you were in 300 AD, and you'd be like, well, what separates your church um, here in North Africa from the one in Turkey? You'd be like, nothing. Language? Well, sometimes, what we're going to do, we, we pretty much are going to have the same thing going on anyway. Because they wanted to say, hey, it's not about um, the church being different, but it's about different people discovering a, a place that they can experience life together. The diversity is not in the presentation, but it's in the community. And you see this in the gospel at a very, um, the gospels and the New Testament at a very um, uh, early stage in the church. The church was diverse in social class, in ethnicity, in, um, in education, in perspective, in political perspectives. And it was a, it was a thing of beauty, but like all things, we can have a romantic notion about things, right? About how beautiful something is, even like diversity. Uh, it's like, you know, if you ever have get a pet or a baby, they're about the same. Um, <laughs> they're like, this is going to be awesome. No, they're not. But 
then within a week you're like, really? I didn't know this much poop was going to be involved with this. And your romantic notions just go down the drain really quick. It's hard, right? And in the early church, and Paul, I want to say, at least 70% of the Apostle Paul's letters, um, the, one of the undergirding, undergirding themes of it was unity. Whether it's the letter of Romans, you know, how do you deal with Jewish people and, uh, and people who are not Jewish, like getting together once a week and not like arguing with each other, or Galatians, or all these different books. It's all about how do we live life together when our community expands and there are different types of people who are amongst us. It's a romantic notion, right? Yay, we're all different. But it's really like, oh man, we're so different. And fights erupt, relationships are severe, and it's not easy. And so today, the passage that I'm reading, um, uh, that I'm going to be preaching through, is in Colossians chapter 3. If you see me like getting my head down really close to this lectern here, it's because I was in a rush uh, to print up my notes. And somehow, I think I was trying to print it in 8 font, but it was like 0.8 font. Oh my God. <laughs> and so it's so tiny. And so, uh, anyways, so Paul and Colossians uh, is trying to show us why Christ, how Christ could take us from romance to reality, seeing unity and, or diversity and unity happen. Because in Colossians, they heard the gospel, the church was formed. But then something, we don't know what it is. There was somebody or some people or different people in their community who are putting forth some kind of philosophy, some kind of perspective, and saying, hey, this is the one you have to follow. And it was causing division in the church. Paul's coming to say, you know, it's not about these stipulations here. What really is going to matter is if you hold Christ high in life. And when you understand Jesus properly, then everything will work its way out. And so to see us here, like whoever's here, I don't know all of you yet. I'll give me a couple minutes. Um, to see this go from romance to reality, there's four things, and I call these the bridge priorities, um, four things that we have to work through, four values, actually, um, that we value, I'm going to say this multiple times, that we value the person, that we value the posture, that we value the process, and then lastly, we value the position somebody holds, right? So again, it's the person, it's the posture, it's the process, and it's the position, lastly. Okay, I was like, I was hoping I got that right. I think I got it right. That's the outline of the sermon I'm preaching, whether I got it right or not. So, value the person. So, uh, Paul, he's, he's brought up the beauty of Jesus, and then he gets into some practical outworkings of the gospel, the outward um, effects of the gospel. And this is one of my favorite chapters in the whole Bible. And he says in verse 9, chapter 3, verse 9, Do not lie to each other, since you have taken off your old self with its practices, and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge of in the image of Christ, of its creator. Here there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and he is in all. So the whole idea is this, is that they were trying to go back to the old ways, the old categories of seeing people, of perceiving people, of treating people. But he says, if you're, 
uh, treating each other according to the way the world sees each other, then you're actually living a lot. Because he says you're not actually treating yourself or others according to them being made in the image of God, which is being renewed in, its, in the knowledge of its creator. What does that mean? Well, we like to see things for how they're broken and different, right? That's how we identify systems or people or backgrounds or perspectives. And they're broken. But Christ has come along, and what Paul is saying is this. Is Christ's death and resurrection prove something? Is that we were created to reflect God's beauty and His glory and dignity? And that Christ's resurrection means we're destined to see that happen. And that's the truth that we're supposed to call out of each other. Anthony Serzo, um, he's an Eastern Orthodox priest. He, he passed away not too long ago. Uh, he has this amazing quote. I love it. About how we're supposed to actually value people, first and foremost, as made in the image of God, especially if they're different. So he says this, every one of us is in the image of God. Every one of us is like a damaged icon or a damaged piece of art. But if we were given a piece of art that was damaged by time, damaged by circumstances, or desecrated by human hatred, we would treat it with reverence, with tenderness, with brokenheartedness. We would not pay attention primarily to the fact that it was damaged, but to the tragedy of it being damaged. We would concentrate on what is left of its beauty and not on what is lost of its beauty. And this is what we must learn to do with regard to each person as an individual, but also, and this is not always easy, right? It's not always romantic. With regard to groups of people, whether it be a denomination or even a nation, we must learn to look and look until we have seen the underlying beauty of this group of people. Only then can we begin to do something to call out all the beauty that is there. Listen to other people, and whenever you discern something which sounds true, which is a revelation of harmony and beauty, emphasize it and help it to flower, strengthen it, and encourage it to live. Amazing. So God created you with beauty. You're destined to fulfill that beauty, but we have brokenness in between. I like to think about it like this. Um, the difference between bees and flocks. We know bees, um, we have a crisis in our country. Bees are not doing super well these days. We don't know exactly why, but bee populations are starting to diminish dramatically, which uh, is not good for our agriculture. But the population that is not diminishing uh, globally are flies. Flies, every single time we open our screen door, it seems like 50 flies come into our house. All different kinds of flies. You know, August is like, my son is like, amen, that's true. Right? <laughs> so what's the difference, though, not of why one is flourishing and one is not, but what's the what's the big difference between bees and flocks? I think it's mainly what they're attracted to, right? Flies are attracted to what? Crap. Trash. Things that smell. Yeah. I think they're all doing it different job, but they're designed to do that job. Pro that probably, job. Robert. Yeah, no, flies have a purpose, too. I'm not I'm not saying uh, they're sinful creatures, man. So, uh, but bees are attracted to beauty and to flowers and to scents and things that are sweet. 
And I think that's what God is calling us to do. I think bees in the church, bees in the world are disappearing. And flies are multiplying. But we're called to be bees. To see the underlying beauty of others. To see that the truth that God has in their lives and to call that out no matter who they are. That is valuing the person who is made in the image of God. That is living in the truth and not in the lie. How do we value people? How do we be ease in this world? But not only that, we need to value the posture. We need to value the posture. So Paul goes on, he says, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly beloved, clothe yourselves with compassion, with kindness, with humility, gentleness, and patience. Let me read that again. Clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. See, a lot of times in this world when we see something broken, when we're good at being flies, it changes who we are. We think just because we see something wrong and we want to make something right, we have the right to respond wrongly to people. We do the opposite of humility, of compassion, of gentleness, of patience, all these different things that reflect Christ's posture towards other people. But we have to value our posture towards others. We can't lose what it means to be like Christ or to be clothed in Christ, no matter what they say, no matter how wrong they are, no matter how broken the situation is, no matter how much they offend us, we have the responsibility to reflect Christ and to be kind towards people. A.W. Tozer has this beautiful quote. He says this, Always it is more important that we retain a right spirit towards others than that we bring them to our way of thinking, even if our way is right. Is that a priority for us? We value our posture. When something triggers us, do we go and look at the mirror and say, am I being like Christ in this situation? Am I having a Christ-like posture? If not, we need to pray about that situation. Also, um, we need to value the process. The process is important. Paul, he goes in and he says, bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace. And just be thankful. So, this whole idea of forgiving one another, putting on love, just as Christ forgave us. Paul actually goes in, in chapter 2. Actually, I'll read it to you. What kind of love does Christ have for us? So when you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ, forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He's now taken it away, nailing it to the cross. So there's this idea here, right? So we value the person, we see the image of God in them. We bring that to the surface. We value our own posture. 
But there's a process here. And this process is grounded in the love of Christ. And this is a saying that I, I have. is this. And this is important. Is that we don't have to be right to be loved. Say that with me. We don't have to be right to be loved. Christ loved us. He died for us while we were the most wrong people ever. And he still loves us while we're the most wrong people ever. You see, a lot of times, a lot of the ways that create separation between us and others is our incessant need to be right about situations. Because that's where our value is. We have to be correct. But to value the process means this. Is we value a culture and an attitude of repentance. Repentance for most people means is an action. Oh, I did something wrong and I'm going to do it right. But what if it's an attitude? Repentance in the Greek metanoia literally means just to be able to change your mind. I think it's a little bit deeper. I think it's to be able or to have the capacity to change your heart, to be open-hearted. It's a value of God showing us that we're loved even if we're wrong. So, as believers, what we have to do is practice this attitude and invite other people into this attitude. Which means we have to be able to say in conversations with others, I might be wrong. And if you're super spiritual, you can say, I'm probably wrong. Just work your way up baby steps, right? Yeah, baby steps. I've been wrong at some point in my life. I could be wrong. I'm probably wrong. And it's amazing to see how this actually forms diversity and community and relationships. Um, there was a there's a person who um, was part of our community, and they were dealing with um, with uh, uh, how they um, relate to their own gender. And so I th- I wanted to find out more, so I um, uh, got in contact. This is a little controversial, but I could be wrong, or you could be wrong. Or we're all wrong, we're all loved. Um, And so my sister put me in contact with somebody who was a a transgender advocate. And so I uh, arranged for a coffee meeting with this person. It was over at uh, uh, up the street at Humble Coffee. I showed up, met with the person, and I got this person coffee. And the first thing they said is, like, What's your agenda? I was like, My agenda? And I was like, Well, uh, I I don't have an agenda, but I called you up because I just want to listen to you. And, and the person was surprised. Like, you want to listen? And I was like, and I was like, wait, why did you ask me about this? And he's like, oh, I looked you up on Facebook. I know you're a pastor. I was like, oh, okay. Well, I'm a, I'm a pastor. And I said, I, I, my, I have my background. I have my perspective on this. But I, I don't know everything. I just need to learn about things. And so it was an interesting conversation. I just sat down and I said this. Hey, as a pastor, my groundwork my foundation is I don't have to be right to be loved. I said that. And which which means, even if I'm wrong, can you help me, uh, like maybe try to be Christian here and love me too, right? And we had this conversation and I wasn't like nodding or just taking like, like whatever, we were, we we're having a conversation. Now at one point in the conversation, it was really amazing that we developed this culture of repentance because the person was, uh, was very open to me 
said, you know, one of the hard things about this is you never feel like you're this gender enough, right? You're always trying to live up to a standard. You're always trying to be this. And I said, that's amazing. So I struggle with that too, right? Am I being a good enough dad? Am I being man enough? That's why I go to the gym, right? Every bench press is like, I'm going to become man enough today. No, it doesn't work, right? But I said, you know, even though we never meet these standards, like, I know Christ has met these standards, and that I'm loved, even if I never meet even God's standards. And so, out of that, we just had this relationship uh, form. But I was inviting somebody and saying, hey, I don't know everything. I want to listen. I could be wrong. Can you join me in that? So, you value, that's going to be hard, right? Even on controversial topics. But we value what? The person? We value the posture. We value the what? Process. Process. Which is creating an open-hearted culture of saying, God, show me how much I'm love, even if I'm wrong. Lastly, what do we do? We value the position. And it's amazing here. So how do we talk about things like this? Well, let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs of the Spirit. Sing to God with gratitude in your hearts. This is actually pretty amazing that he says, teach and admonish each other, right? But with what? Songs, psalms, and spiritual songs, right? With music. It's actually a pretty amazing thing, the way to teach each other. We like to admonish each other and teach each other by beating each other down, right? But music has this way of inviting people and romancing people to see things differently, to identify things, and it changes us. So if we value the person, if we value the posture, our posture, if we value the other person, if we value our posture, if we value the process, then actually our positions can change. And if you see people with different backgrounds or perspectives on things, your like, Alex and I, I don't know how different we are, but let's just say we're very different, right? Like, if we enter into this, if we value each other as people, made in the image of God, both of our beauty is going to be restored one day. We both have Christ-like postures. We both enter into the process of repentance before God, knowing God will show us truth. Then actually our positions might change, and we might never come to have the same position, right? However, our own position might shift. Our own, by listening to other people, valuing them, our own position might grow and might mature, and it might become something different. And we might never agree with that person, but we're both changing together, right? So important. Because what do we do often? We like to reverse this. We like to reverse this. We like to sniff out, well, what's this person's position? How can I identify this person? What are they representing? And then we enact stage two, the process of trying to change them. All right, this person, they're going to look like me pretty soon. Just give it, I'll be patient. I'm going to give it a week. And if they're not like us, our posture changes towards them. They're the enemy. And I'm going to be rude. I'm going to have malice. I'm going to use language that's not appropriate. 
And lastly, we determine at the end of that what their value is as a person. So here's a test for us. Um, anybody here have access? You don't have to raise your hand if you have access to the internet. The internet is known for about these four values. We see it all the time, right? Social media, people valuing each other. No. People having a great posture on the internet. Not at all. What kind of process is it? I don't even have words to describe it. And, uh, and definitely positions are becoming more hardened because of the internet, right, and social media, uh, versus being more of a repentant culture. So this is what I, uh, so whether it's in person or if you go onto social media, if you've gotten off of it because it's toxic, that's a good idea. But like, go on, spend the two minutes it takes to find some meme that somebody in Russia created and somebody else took it and posted it on their Facebook page just to trigger um, emotions out of it, right? We all have that meme, right? Where you're like, I absolutely disagree with this and I'm gonna be thinking about it for the next hour how long this is. Take some time. Listen to the words behind whatever that, that thing is and try to unearth some sense of beauty about that person some sense of goodness behind that vile internet creation, right? Check your posture. How am I acting? How am I feeling? Am I Christ-like in the circumstance? Invite that person into the process with gentle words, right? And then lastly, see how the positions change. I actually did this as an experiment Pyramid a few weeks ago. There was somebody who I, I know, and this person put on this like created this meme, this crazy meme on the internet. And memes just like they're like flagged. I don't even know how to just like they're they're horrible, right? And this person put this thing where it was probably made by some kind of Russian algorithm where it just picked like every single hot word that inspired fear, like in in uh, a certain group of people. And this one was about like had socialism, Islam, it had a picture of 9-11, and it ended with the quote, they are gonna destroy us from within. And I was like, what does this even mean? So I asked the person, I was like, what does this even mean? And the person like didn't give me a clear answer. And, uh, and so I prayed about it, and I just said, tell this person, I, I said, hey, I know you are a good person. I know you are a good person, and you have a good heart. I wrote this. And I said, I know what you, um, uh, what that you care for our country, and that you want what's best for other people in our country. And I said, however, I don't think what you're trying to communicate, what you intend, and what your heart reflects, is being communicated clearly by the things that you post. And I don't know if you realize this, but all these things inspire fear in others, and as Christians. Um, fear is not what we're about. We're about loving other people in the name of Christ, right? And inspiring love in other people. And so help me inspire love online in our relationships. You know, the person responded to all these other people who were saying, you're fear-mongering, you're doing all this. She responded to me, she's like, wow, you're right. I'm going to delete this right away. I'm going to be careful about what I post. Isn't that amazing? So that can happen anywhere, right? 
So we have to be able to do that. Value people. The image of God is there, tucked away in them. We got to call it to the surface. We have to do these. We have to have Christ-like postures, clothed with compassion, humility, patience. We have to enter into the process, invite other people. We have to be a church who engages that process of people saying, I'm probably wrong. You might not be wrong, but it's okay to say I'm probably wrong. It's okay to actually believe that you're probably wrong, too. Not just say it. And lastly, lastly, we have to be people who who allow God to shift our position and allow God to shift other people's positions. Can we do that? Can we do that here? Can we do that at our church over on Academy? The power of the gospel reflected in the church is that we see all these people coming under Christ, discovering their beauty, reflecting that beauty in their posture, living out that process and seeing our positions change together. Let's pray. God, I just thank you.